Welcome to the Innate Flow Podcast. My name is Nate Baumgartner, and you are tuning in to a vibration in the time-space continuum, communicating the wisdom, reflection, and awareness direct from the mouths of authentic truth-seekers and spiritual warriors. Drop in with us as we uncover how we as individuals can begin healing our collective consciousness in a holistic and intuitive way. Sit back, Quiet the mind and open the heart as we integrate the here and now. Luke Freeman is a man who is difficult to categorize. He is a lifelong learner and coming from a family of limited beliefs around society, money, religion, and education, he rebelled in search of reality. And in that rebellion, He learned that he is here on earth to understand the deepest truth about the world and where he fits in it. He is a veteran practitioner of ayahuasca and iboga, and I am excited to explore these realms with him on the show today, as well as many other deep and esoteric topics. Welcome to the Innate Flow podcast, Luke. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, brother. So to jump right in, I would love to hear about your journey where where you found yourself the incarnation that you came into the family that you grew up in the environment you grew up in and how you got to where you are today i'm sure okay so i grew up in a family my uh mother's family i came from the midwest and originally they uh were basically farmers they uh very uh christian slash catholic uh religious uh, religious background and it ended up uh being pretty strict as far as religion and uh my mom was the first to kind of come away from that a little bit and she went into the christian side and uh so my dad he came from czechoslovakia Czech Republic, which is uh, a pretty oppressed area during his time coming up, and he had to escape the country. So he had uh, very strict militant type of ideals that he liked to abide by and have everybody else abide by in the family. And so uh, I was in kind of a mix of that. It's uh, a lot of confusion, a lot of conflict between my parents. Um, and it created a bit of chaos in the household. They uh, didn't always agree on things. And it, uh, I grew up in Sonoma, California, where things were, uh, let's see. Yeah, it was was pretty, uh, everybody wanted to be normal. Everybody wanted to be like the typical American. And so I was expected to behave like that. And I, I was looking at this and I, I said, this can't be the way that things actually are. This is like a, a false uh, narrative that's being put up. So in growing up in this conventional, you know, family in conventional Sonoma, California, where everyone is in this space of wanting to assume the status quo, wanting to assume normal life, was there that one point that you felt like, you know, oh shit, this is not me 
and I can be so much more than that. Was there that, you know, fracturing of ego, that fracturing of consciousness that led you into exploration? You know, what's funny is I, I always felt like an extraterrestrial mm. during this whole process. I, I felt like I was an outsider. Like I wasn't meant to be in that space from as far back as I can remember. Um, it, everything just felt wrong that I was involved in all this, uh, the fake narrative, the education system that I was, uh, attempting to be indoctrinated into. And so the school system, they, uh, they basically died. They told me that there was something wrong with me that I wasn't learning correctly. And so they, uh, sent me to the psychiatrist who, uh, they drugged me they, uh, dubbed me ADHD, um, disruptive, um, yeah, in, in a gist, that's, that's how it all began. They, uh, got me on ADHD pills. I was on Adderall, which, uh, just made me plain confused at the situation. And I would, uh, actually uh run away from the school system <laughs> on a regular basis and uh go and spend time out in nature um going trying to find a place that i felt comfortable with and that i felt uh, what what age are we talking around like when you get diagnosed quote unquote with quote unquote adhd um i myself eight. was kindergarten yeah i was okay. eight you were eight years old yeah and so even then you had this awareness that there is some greater truth out in nature that is universal that I can tap into. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How, what was that learning process like as you moved from all of the things that the school system, that society, that your family were you know, pushing onto you, that they were projecting onto you as things that you should want. And then what was that coming back? to the truth, the deeper truth, like for you? I suppose it, uh, it was a lot of confusion and chaos until I was around 14 and I ended up, uh, getting sentenced to a boot camp, uh, in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a 30 day, basically survival uh practice that they did where they put us through some training and actually put us out in nature for 30 days which was overseen from afar by a, a vietnam vet that kind of overwatched the situation but we were trained in uh, just kind of the terrain uh what to eat while we were out there they gave us the bare essentials they gave us a tarp blanket knife uh magnifying glass and uh yeah a little handbook that uh basically taught us about the terrain and so i uh got really deep into nature out there we're living off of um basically um rattlesnake different uh plants that were out there small fish if you could catch them in the little stream that was running through there um yeah, it was, uh, it was my first time actually being by myself as well for a long period of time. And it was, I, I started to get to know myself better, which was, uh, an interesting experience 
because I had never been left to my own, my own mind clearly for a long time. They uh, allowed me to do uh, detox off of the medication before I went into this. And uh, yeah, it was like this other part of me had woken up and I was just excited for that to happen. And to uh, it was like a new adventure that was completely mm-hmm. unfolding. And yeah, I imagine this was coming from a place of wanting to reform you, wanting to you know shape your personality um, in a specific way that they sent you to this place, and ultimately you know it shaped you, but also allowing you to express like more authenticity and truth of what you were growing into in this connection with nature. So it was a counterintuitive, you know, it worked for you rather than against you. Is that, is that what you take from it as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely, (laughs) it made me more stubborn if anything, to be honest with you, it kind of woke me up and I was off the medication at that point. And so, uh, I got, Let's, let's step back a, a minute. Um, so at the age of 11, my parents had uh, gotten into an altercation and I uh, got involved in it and uh, it ended up becoming a situation where I became a ward of the court. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got put in the foster care system. And uh, growing up in uh, it's mostly group homes, and uh, the foster care system, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, you're basically on your own in that type of a situation, but you're around all these other kids who are in the same situation, up to 18, some of them. And uh, it's like having a bunch of really mean uh, brothers and sisters that really don't care about you. And, uh, I mean, you'd have uh, some people that were okay and decent to each other, but for the most part, I mean, everybody's medicated, everybody's uh, eating a bunch of GMO food, a bunch of really dirty stuff that just keeps the mind convoluted and confused. And uh, it was something with, uh, I went through a lot of pain during that time, but it was a lot of uh, life lessons as well to actually see like the darker sides of uh, what society actually is like a lot of the time for a lot of kids. And uh, so I, I definitely have empathy for that. About 15, I ended up uh, running away from a group home that I was at. And I went to Humboldt County. And uh, I lived with a, a hippie tribe out on the beaches. And uh, also with my friend and his dad for about a year and a half. And uh, so I was able to kind of get that understanding a lot better about like what family is and what like people coming together and uh, actually starting to like bond and be kind to one another and take care of each other. People who don't even know each other a lot of the time. And so that was a beautiful experience for me. Yeah. I, in that, you know, coming up in that environment where you become the ward of the state, you get put in these different foster homes I imagine there's a very big fear response and unlearning that and learning how to connect from the heart 
and to create tribe, to create community that you may not have felt before in your life. What was that process like in moving out to Humboldt and finding this space where you could really, you know, find family in essence? So I went out there with the understanding that I was going to be staying with my uh, friend and his dad that uh, lived in a small town called McKinleyville, which is uh, by a beach in Humboldt County. And uh, it ended up being kind of a situation where he basically wanted us to help him grow pot on a, a fairly decent size scale uh, gorilla growing uh, out in a forest. So uh, that was exciting to me the concept of going out there and uh, getting away from everything that was um, oppressing me for so long. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went out there and it was uh, beautiful to work with the plants. It was uh, a lovely experience to be able to um, get into deep nature see real forests see real like uh lush green moist areas where plants just grow so effortlessly for the most part um unfortunately uh he wasn't really working with the the father and the son they probably and they weren't really working with uh like natural means to grow a lot of this it was all chemical based and I didn't know any different. And so uh, I went out there and uh, we were growing and uh, it was, it was okay. It did. All right. The plants did all right out there. I'm sure that they would have done a lot better if it had been like kind of uh, uh, in synergy with nature or working with, which uh, I'm just starting to really understand a lot more about uh, working in synergy with nature through like biodynamic and biodynamic gardening. But, uh, yeah, um, I ended up, um, starting to spend more time out by the beaches and getting to know the, uh, local tribes that were out there, not, uh, Native American tribes, but, uh, basically, um, people who were just, uh, displaced by society and they ended up finding a beautiful space that they felt, uh, more at home or, uh, it was, uh, basically about maybe a hundred to 150 people that were typically out there at a time just moving from beach to beach and uh they had buses they had all kinds of different uh larger vehicles that would uh people would just gather they'd hop in and we'd go over to the next beach and pitch tents and have bonfires every night um i got introduced to psychedelics out there I started uh, working with uh, mostly LSD, some mushrooms, um, of course, uh, smoking weed when we were out there. Um, yeah, that's when I uh, started to definitely experience a lot of the psychedelic realm. And that was extremely mm-hmm. eye-opening for me as well. It let me know that we're only seeing such a f- small fraction of what the actual uh the actual reality is we're starting to crack into something that's uh beyond the eyes of somebody who's been suppressed 
And I imagine feeling like an alien all your life, feeling like this outcast, this outsider, tapping into that gave you a sense of, you know, like, oh, there is there is more for me outside of this conventional status quo realm that I can tap into that is closer in alignment to who I am. Yes. Yeah, it, uh, definitely woke up a lot of emotions in that it gave me uh, more of a sense of uh, purpose to be here and because for a long time, I, I didn't really understand why I got placed in this, uh, on this earth. And it was, and that, that can lead to a lot of anxiety and depression feeling that not knowing why we're here, not having purpose in feeling your purpose. What was the truth that came through the medicine to you? Feeling my purpose. Um, I would say that I started to gain a sense of peace. I started to uh, understand that there was uh, something much more even than what I was experiencing and that uh, I wasn't displaced over there. I was, uh, it was my purpose to be there at that point. And so I, uh, I started to explore other forms of uh, breath work um i actually got kind of uh over involved in cannabis from the very beginning just like everybody who's out there which uh i kind of realized more over the last decade or so was uh, a nullifier in a lot of ways it uh made it so that i was suppressing more more emotion that i should have been processing during that time and i'm just having to process a lot of that emotion now at the age of 35 but uh yeah it was it was good overall i guess i uh my body was or my system was probably protecting itself from having to do that in unprotected space um it has like inner wisdom that will just like heavy metals and uh serious toxins it finds a way to bind them up and put them away for the right time when it's time for it to be able to detox it and even at that point even when you detox it at that point when it's the right time you still feel the detox symptoms but at the same time it's uh it's releasing them in a safe way that's not going to destroy the system you're referring to to the emotions, yes. how how we process the emotions. Uh, I've I've found that it um, breath work. You mentioned breath work mm-hmm. is powerful in tapping us into our body to allow that release. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, it was uh, very basic practices that I was using at, at that point. Um, it wasn't like holotropic breath, breath work. It was mainly uh, alternative nostril breathing, mm-hmm. um, breath of fire. And uh, those were the, the most uh, prominent ones that I was using. So as you learn to tap into the Kundalini breathing, alternative nostril breathing and using that, 
to facilitate your healing. Um, in addition to having the psychedelic medicines, cannabis, LSD, psilocybin, as these tools for awakening, what were you finding in your I own I was healing? finding that there was a lot of deep-seated trauma that I didn't even understand was there that uh, had to be released. And these were, the, this was the very beginning stages of me starting to crack into more of my, uh, my spiritual nature and my ability to uh, under my, understand myself on a deeper level. Um, it was still very beginner for me at that point, but it's so profound when you're first cracking into it. It's like somebody who's first getting into the gym for the first time and how you get these massive gains right away because somebody who's like a professional bodybuilder that goes into the gym, it's so hard for him to go from a plateau and move forward naturally compared to somebody who's a, a novice that goes in there and gets these gains within two weeks, this enormous gains. And, you know, it's like, wow, this is super profound. But uh, yeah. So I guess it was uh, the fact that I had uh, a free spirit that I, uh, I realized that I was supposed to be free. I wasn't supposed to be contained and uh, kept down during long periods of time and uh before that i just kind of assumed that that's the way that it was and i was really going against the grain but that's not the way that it's supposed to be you're not supposed to be completely controlled and uh manipulated in that way and i feel for all these kids that don't have any kind of proper um guidance in that I, uh, I didn't start meditating until I was, uh, in my adult years and I, oh my God, I, I can only imagine how much healing I would have gone through at those younger stages. If I had been involved in that. You're, you're in humble, you're in humble, you're, mm -hmm. you're traveling, you're with this, um, this community, um, this intentional community, you're, you're growing cannabis you're exploring psychedelics, mm -hmm. you're exploring breath work, you're in your what mid teens. Where do you find yourself at this point where you you mentioned using cannabis a little bit too eagerly to to numb and exploring breath work? What does that journey look like as you continue on the path? I had been taught to swim as a young child as well. And so that was something that was, I, I guess, uh, a big part of uh me starting to understand nature better is I would go into the ocean out there where it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty wild ocean for the most part in Humboldt County. It's huge waves. It's very strong current. And I started to understand the nature of ocean a lot better by uh, swimming out there. And I almost drowned a couple of times. And so I had the near death experience come up a couple of times and, but it didn't terrify me in a way or create some kind of a phobia towards it. It made me actually more curious towards, uh, this nature in general and like this interacting with it and really, uh, becoming a deeper, deeply connected with it. This all continued until the point to where 
I, one day I was uh, actually on LSD with uh, some people and uh, went into a store and uh, things shifted pretty quick. I uh, ended up uh, realizing that I didn't have money for a lighter <laughs> and uh, I shoplifted a lighter. I ended up getting arrested for uh, doing this and I was on LSD. So I uh, didn't really understand what was happening when the security grabbed me and I fought back and, and they ended up, uh, I ended up getting charged with uh, assault and battery and uh, second degree commercial burglary. And uh, so I ended up uh, getting into uh, getting involved in going to juvenile hall at that point. This is at what age? This was 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, getting placed in juvenile hall. They uh, put me back on medication and uh, it was super strictly watched to make sure that I was uh, taking it. So I went from having this freedom and it being able to do things the way that I wanted to, to, uh, getting placed back in this. And, uh, it's, it, to be honest with you, I'm uh, actually working through a lot of this right now, uh, as far as, uh, remembering and, uh, processing the emotions. Um, I have this huge blank point between the ages of 15 to 18 that I understand what happened somewhat, but it was, uh, it's uh, emotionally, it's a uh, very dulled and, uh, I, I don't have much memory recollection of it. And I feel that it's probably my system protecting itself or it was at that point, but, uh, now I'm using, uh, flower essences, uh, I'm being walked through this, uh, process. It's called Bach flower essence therapy. Okay. And it's used to uh, help uh, recall and process emotions. Is that an anthroposophical process? I'm not sure. It's uh, aromatherapy. And uh, it's using okay. uh, these different flower essences in combination in order to uh, just recall memories and to be able to process it properly. It's probably what you're talking about. I'm not sure. I've heard that technical name. No, it's okay. I, you're describing it perfectly is that helping you tap back into those that three-year period in which you were put in juvenile detention and you were forced to repress a lot and i imagine there's an aspect of the what we label as post-traumatic stress disorder where things are mm -hmm. so challenging so painful that we shut ourselves off to them is that do you find what do you find awakening in you as a result of doing this this therapy about those two years <laughs> um Okay, so during that time that I was uh, incarcerated and going through all of that, I uh, I was forced into quite a few physical altercations from what's came up so far, and um, I had to defend myself quite a bit. And I'm just like, you know, it's you're an experiment, basically. That's what I felt like, right. and so. What's coming up is uh, I'm getting to heal the inner child in my heart, the child that should have been playing nature, the child that should have been nurtured, that uh, should have been uh, loved.
by somebody during that time. <laughs> and so uh, I'm talking to that child. I'm walking with that child. I'm being that child's mentor. I'm uh, teaching that child how to meditate at that time, how to find peace in the world. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, I have to have patience with that child because uh, there's a lot of frustration that's still pent up in it. And uh, it's, it's coming to terms in peace with it though, with what's happened. Yeah. What do you find your relationship with plays as a result of having this childhood that, you know, many may, you know, project on it as a challenging childhood and early adulthood. What, where do you find your ability to tap into that curiosity and play opening up as you explore? Mm, so it, uh, it comes back down to the ocean a lot of the time. Um, yeah. I go to this hot spring out by Stinson Beach pretty much every couple weeks during new moon and full moon. And uh, they, uh, they have beautiful oceans out there. Um, it's uh, clothing optional. And so I'm out there. And it's just me in nature and I'll talk to the ocean. I'll uh, interact with it. I'll allow this child to come out of me and experience that and to uh, be in a meditative state during that or to put myself in a state of complete gratitude and love and really feel it on my upper, uh, upper chakra centers where a lot of this emotion mm -hmm. is stuck or it's stuck in the heart because I wasn't nurtured yeah. in my heart. And so these emotional centers were dead above uh, my solar plexus before that. Not dead. I, w I shouldn't say that they were undernourished. And so undernourished and you, you were never taught how to connect with them, how to connect with feeling the emotions, the communication, tapping into mm -hmm. the intuition of the third eye and, rooting to the source yes. consciousness that that was something that um you were never guided into which many people i'm sure can relate to this um even if they you know didn't experience the same level of quote-unquote trauma that you experienced there is still you know a more subtle lack of valuing these things like our connection to our emotions our ability to communicate our will to communicate our truth out into the world and to tap into our intuitive sense. And in the, if you're familiar with Paul check, he talks about the, 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 the last three or actually four chakras from the heart up to the crown are the, your relation to all. Mm -hmm. So the first, the first chakra is the root chakra. And that's, that's the eye. Then there's the sacral and the solar plexus and the heart. And that's the we relating to community. And then the last three are our relationship to all, our relationship to not only humankind, but you know the universe, the multiverse, the omniverse, and finding unity in that. And in, in that experience of you reconnecting to these using this aromatherapy, and I imagine you know other modalities mm -hmm. what is it that you're noticing shift in your I life i have more of uh more volume open in my system to be able to uptake uh higher amounts of love higher amounts of trust um i'm able to use my voice better 
I was very closed off with my voice for a long time to where I felt like it was hard for me to speak any of my own truth that I, uh, I felt like I should be ashamed of the things that I've been through. And I still, uh, I, I don't talk about a lot of this stuff too much. This is actually the first time that I've ever put it out there in the public in any way. And yeah. so, uh, it was, uh, something that I felt I should hide in order to protect my, uh, the type of person that I am and like the is so that I can have a future without being judged by others. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's came to the point to where I just like, it's, it is what it is. Hopefully it can be something that, uh, helps other people, you know, and that's my goal in life uh, at this point is to help people. And so, uh, I feel that it's a healthy thing also for me to be able to, um, process this further through doing these kind of practices, what we're doing right now. Yeah. Putting, giving the, the shame, the ability to come up and out, out of the shadow. We talk about shadow mm. work. Shadow work is really just allowing what we feel shame and guilt about in our lives. Um, giving it a voice, mm -hmm. allowing it to be seen by others so that it can be resonated with like you just said, being open about that, about the fact that you spent so much of this time in this space of fight or flight, in this upregulated sympathetic nervous system space where you had to be afraid you were going to be beat up or you were, you were going to be you know, thrown in jail or medicated or all of these different things. Um, they, they take us out of this understanding that we create safety within ourselves, within our own um, nervous system mm -hmm. and these practices that you have learned to tap into are essentially doing that. So you, you come into this, um, you're, you're 18 years old. You now, you know, have had all of this life experience where, where do you find yourself <laughs> at 18 where you start to now have, you know, memories again and can remember back to your youth. <laughs> Yeah, there was another uh, hitch that ended up coming up. So I sure. uh, I was living in Vallejo, uh, California at that point, which is uh, not the most fantastic place for uh, youth to be evolving at, at that point. Right. Um, it's pretty harsh conditions. I ended up, it was Memorial Day weekend, and I ended up uh, going out to this place called Lake Berryessa with a friend of mine, this guy that I had, uh, known for quite a few years on and off. And, uh, <laughs> we ended up having one beer while we were out there and I, uh, I rolled my Durango off the side of a cliff, um, when I was driving back and, uh, my, I rolled four times and, uh, landed on a flat road. And, uh, I turned around, I looked at my friend, I said, are you okay? He's like, yeah. And he wasn't bleeding. He didn't look like he was messed up. We were actually upside down at that point. And so we took our seatbelts off and we got out and we were just kind of like checking our bodies, making sure we weren't all cut up or messed up. And so, uh, the CHP pulled up within literally one minute and we're in the middle of nowhere in the, this forest. And we're like, mm -hmm. how did the CHP pull up in one minute? 
turns out I rolled directly onto the CHP parking lot road, (laughs) (laughs) like driving right up to them. And so, um, (laughs) so they, uh, tested my blood alcohol. It was under the limit, but the guy that I was with, he, uh, made the decision to uh, say that he was injured when they came. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, he, was apparently looking for a, uh, insurance handout at that, at that oh. point. And so, uh, they ended up charging me with DUI causing injury instead of a wet and reckless, which I probably wouldn't have even gotten a wet and reckless because I was like, I was like 0. 0.03 on the scale. Okay. And so, uh, so I ended up, uh, getting put back in jail and, uh, yeah, I uh, to make a long story short, I fought the case because I knew it was BS. Um, I ended up uh, getting convicted of it, and they had warned me that they were going to uh, charge me to the fullest extent if I fought this case. And so mm-hmm. uh, they told me that they were going to throw me in prison, which I thought was kind of a joke. And the, oh, the people that I had dealt with, they kind of thought that that was like really overkill for a first-time offender to get put in and so i ended up uh, actually getting sentenced to prison for uh the dui causing injury (laughs) i uh went to san quentin uh for this uh yeah and i ended up uh serving a year and a half between san quentin and uh, high desert state prison and uh i got to see i was on these yards with these people who were actual uh they were in there for murder cases. They were life sentenced individuals. What did you learn in San Quentin? I imagine that that was an incredibly scary experience, even coming from, you know, a place where you went into juvenile detention, you had these experiences of being incarcerated to a lesser Mm -hmm. degree, but being in San Quentin, is no joke. What's happening, friends? I'm interrupting this episode to talk with you about something of incredible importance. We live in a time where there's much polarization and fracturing in the world, so much so that much of our society has internalized this energy, creating symptoms of depression, anxiety, and other mind viruses. This is why the world needs you now more than ever. It needs your integrity, your empowerment, and your capacity to serve the world most fully with your gifts. And one of the most powerful allies that I have encountered in my healing journey has been psychedelic mushrooms. I imagine you've heard of microdosing, but may not know where to start. This is why I created the Innate Flow Microdose Immersion. Over 12 weeks, you will build your relationship with these plant medicine teachers in a safe and effective way connecting with the deeper truth of who you are and why you're here in this life, befriending the different parts of yourself and building a vision for your life within a supportive community. Through the wisdom of mystery traditions and sacred healing practices, you will build a practical tool belt for living with intention and proactivity, allowing you to shift from being stuck in a fight or flight response towards your life into creating the dream version of it. Reach out to me at innate.flow on Instagram to schedule a free discovery call and see if the immersion is right for you. Talk with you soon.
It's uh, it was actually uh, a very uh, eye-opening experience. It's uh, your instincts are on such a high yeah. alert from the very first day that you get in there, and everything is uh, associated by race and mm-hmm. gang in there. Everybody's separated. They separate themselves to uh, so-called protect themselves, you know, because nobody can get along apparently right. in there. And so I ended up going against the grain with that. And, uh, I went and, uh, worked with this, um, group called mm-hmm. the others. They, uh, it's mostly Pacific Islanders. Um, I could slip into there barely because I have some Sicilian mm-hmm. blood in me and that qualified to be in that position. And so, uh, I ended up working with them, which allowed me to be able to associate myself with basically anybody who was, that was in right. there, which, uh, wasn't very, uh, approvable for somebody with blue mm. eyes. Did you feel pressure from the, the neo-Nazi camp from the, the white nationalists? Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. There was uh, a lot of pressure, uh, from there. They're like, they, they're like, you're, you're with the wrong yeah. people. You definitely shouldn't be with them. This is like the, uh, I got some threats. Uh, I had to uh, really hold my own and show that I was, uh, that there was like uh, a protective uh, beast within me. Like I, uh, I started working out extremely hard when I was in there. I was 250 pounds. I was extremely strong. Um, I was doing pull-ups and, uh, push-ups every day in yep. mass quantities. Uh, basically they have, uh, they have like push-up groups and, uh, pull-up groups out there that like you go through these training routines every day and it makes you strong. And it's, I'm still, I still don't even understand how it really works because you're getting such crappy nutrition right. in there. But these people get enormous. They get so strong under that. But, uh, I, yeah, I ended up, uh, getting built up pretty well. I, uh, I went through it fairly unfazed, uh, physically. I, uh, I didn't go through too much trauma physically. I got stabbed in my neck one time, uh, when I was in there, can you tell that story? So, yeah, it was, uh, during a riot that had uh, kicked off in there and, um, it wasn't even between our group. I, I think that somebody just did it. It, it was between, uh, the South Americans It's uh, they call them Serenos and, uh, the black people, <laughs> this, uh, Af- African-Americans. And, uh, so, there, it was something to do with food, some trades that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that somebody who uh, didn't approve of the way that I was living my life uh, slipped in there and he uh, stuck this piece of metal in my neck. And uh, I still don't even know what it was that, uh, that he stabbed yeah. me with. But uh, it ended up being it, it was like right underneath my ear. And it hit, it hit this mm-hmm. bone that's in the side of my head, luckily. And it didn't actually like puncture deep into my neck. Yeah. And, uh, so I just, I, I felt like a sense of gratitude after I got stitched up from that. I was like, wow. I was like, that could have been the end of me. 
it was another near death experience because when <laughs> I was, uh, walking off the yard with the medical personnel and holding my neck, I was like, this could be the and my last time seeing earth. It, uh, started to reawaken a lot of that, uh, wonder of the universe and it's starting to, uh, mm-hmm. to really respect the depth of it and how much I still hadn't seen or understood. And so, uh, I ended up uh, getting walked off there and I, I went and got uh, stitched up. I stayed in the medical ward for about, uh, three weeks until it was healed up. And, uh, and then they put me back out and it was uh, literally about maybe four months later that I ended up getting released. And uh, I, I had a plan in place. I had been told by some people that there was these uh, refineries, oil refineries that uh, took people on that you would work so much. Literally, you wouldn't have time to mess up. And you would make a lot of money doing it. And so I started uh, working for these oil refineries and I suppressed a lot of the uh, emotions during this time, which was okay. But uh, I worked at these oil refineries for 84 hours a week, literally. It was was 13 days of 12-hour shifts at night from 6 Mm p.m. to 6 a.m., and uh yeah my my parole officer said i was like a model student on that like he didn't uh, mess with me they released me off parole in six months after that um which was like they're they're like yeah this guy doesn't do anything wrong he just works and uh so i stayed involved in that for um until i was around 21 and I had saved up some money and uh, I ended up um, coming to the conclusion that there was something that I was missing in my life. And so uh, I uh, met my current partner at the time. Um, her name's Sarah. And uh, we ended up, um, I started getting curious about water because uh water is like it's something that nobody really knows where to get clean water like do i get uh this uh this brand or that brand like everything's bottled water for people in the cities like they you don't really you definitely don't drink the tap water if you have any kind of brains in your head and so i Mm uh i ended up uh getting curious where the water was coming from was like where was the main source of the water coming from i didn't know about springs at this point so i went out to uh mount shasta to the headwaters because i figured out that that's where it was springing from one of the main sources of california and i was utterly blown away by uh the clean water that was there i had never had clean water before that was coming from nature and so I had uh, purchased a couple glass bottles while I was out there, a couple glass five-gallon jugs. And I was hanging out near this water. And uh, I was just giving gratitude to life 
and this, I was just in this really blissed out state that I hadn't uh, really came to before. And what was it that called you to the water? I knew I was poisoning myself with what was in the other stuff that I was drinking. And it was, uh, <laughs> I thought it was good what I was drinking, but I was drinking uh, distilled water from Walmart in these jugs. And there's no co-ops that were close by me. So I wouldn't even know that there was like filtered water machines that you could use with reverse osmosis and this kind of stuff, which is, oh, it's still, it's okay. It's dead water still. And uh, I had no idea about restructuring water or anything uh, more in-depth concepts about it, but I ended up, um, I ended up meeting a guy and a girl who just had the most beautiful energy down by the headwaters of Mount Shasta. And it was a Latino couple. And it's funny. The guy was like, man, where'd you get those jugs, man? Those jugs are beautiful. They're in these glass jugs. And I was like, I noticed their energy was just like so radiant and gorgeous. And I was like, I'll tell you what I said, I'll give you one of these jugs if you take me to wherever you just came from. Yeah. I sensed mm -hmm. that they had just been through some kind of super profound experience. They had this sense of uh, beautiful family energy about them, like this beautiful, this glowing energy. And they're like, okay, yeah, we just came from this ayahuasca retreat that was in uh, weed, California. And so uh, I ended up getting introduced to them a month later. And uh, I had been told about the dieta and it was my first time ever getting away from meat. And uh, I had been eating this hormone raised meat with uh, the antibiotics. So it was a very uh, sad American type of diet up until that point. And you're slowly figuring out all of the ways to bring in yes, health absolutely. In, in learning, in unlearning and learning what, what to optimize in your life to Let heal yourself. Let me back yourself. up. This is slightly. Um, so uh, when I was in the refinery, I was eating like crap. I wasn't exercising the way that I should have. And I had became pretty overweight at that point. I was about probably 285 pounds and I had uh size 44 waist like it was going straight to the gut it was very unhealthy the way that i was treating my system and so uh i i think that that was probably part of the call to find the clean water and to start to cleanse <laughs> myself and so uh finding this group of people who was starting to like they were like oh yeah vegan is the way you know we'll start out with uh just getting you off of meat and getting you onto vegetables and so I started doing that. I did the dieta for two weeks before I actually uh, went ahead and uh, did the practice. And so uh, when I uh, when I finally got there, and it was just like it was almost like an alien world that I was going into. I had done stuff on a, a smaller level as far as. Uh, LSD and mushrooms, which can be extremely profound if you set up the right circumstances and the right type right. of environment and your body is cleansed correctly. 
but it can, I mean, it can be great anyway, but, or it can be something that's horrific. You know, if you have the wrong uh, material in your system for it to process these things. And so, uh, I went in there, uh, fairly clean (laughs) and it was probably, uh, not a very good, uh, circumstance that I walked into on the first one. Um, it was extremely snowed in the area and they had this overhang. It was a Latina Latino community. And, uh, they had this overhang and they had, uh, 30 people packed under this overhang that was pretty small. And we were like literally almost touching each other. And we had all drank in the ayahuasca and we we're laying there. And within I'd say 45 minutes, I started to see these almost like it almost looked like ghosts to me jumping from person to person when I sat up and looked. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is this? And I realized I said, this is energy that is, is jumping from person to person. And I saw it try, it came into me for a second. And I was like, hell no. I, I didn't like the feel of that. I was like, no way. And so I started lacing up my boots and I, uh, I wandered out into the snow and the helpers are like, no, no, you got to go back inside. You got to go back in there. I was like, nope, I said, I'm not going back in there. And they're like, and the lady who was running the uh, retreat, she was like, go ahead, bring your stuff out there. And so I uh, sat out there in the snow and I felt like this energy was still in me. And I, I was like, God, I got to get this out of me somehow. And so what I did was I dug a hole to the earth, like to where I could touch the earth. And I put my foot on the earth. Something instinctively told me to touch the earth. And I started doing this toning that it felt like the earth's pain being transmuted out of me, like through me as like a, a like a microphone. And so I, uh, I continued to do this toning and, uh, <laughs> they, they were getting pissed at me. The, the, when you say toning, what does that mean? It was, it wasn't a very pleasant sound that i was doing okay yeah yeah, using your voice and i'd never been really uh i wouldn't say even it was more of a frequency that was okay so just like humming very loudly and so this went on and it felt like eventually it was starting to channel out the pain of me as well Mm -hmm. at first it was just the earth's pain that was being uh released from my system and then it was the land's pain, that specific land that was uh, there, which uh, it had natives, uh, Native Americans that were originally on that land. And I felt their pain of being forced off of their land. And then it came to my pain. And I started releasing this pain that I was currently in at first. It was the current pain of uh, being in that situation where my body was still toxic where it was uh, all of these people over here that I didn't know that were this like getting mutilated by these energies between each other. And they're screaming too. They're, <laughs> they were doing their own thing over there. I was 20 feet away out underneath this Oak tree. 
and uh, it's there was still snow all around me. I was in a blanket, which was sopping wet because my body had it created the heat to melt the snow. And uh, I'm sitting here toning mm-hmm. and freezing my ass off. And uh, I ended up starting to. Uh, I started to feel like I was emptying a vessel. And so eventually it got to the point to where I felt like my vessel had been uh, emptied of the pain. Mm -hmm. And then it started, uh, I remembered this, this certain tone for the heart, the yum sound. And so I started doing this tone and I started feeling this, uh, this little light in my chest, this, uh, this spark start to ignite and it it continued to grow and it grew and it grew and eventually it went beyond my body and it created this uh this field that was around my body and before i knew it i was sitting up cross-legged this like feeling so good and alive and it was so grateful for life and I uh, continued to do it and I started to feel God, the God energy start to come into me and to grace me for the first time. And I, I was like, what was that feeling like? It's a, I would say it's a feeling of uh, just the ultimate uh, manifested gratitude it's like gratitude yes. manifest. I, I know that that's kind of a poor way to describe it, but that's the best way. You know, that's it's it. it's it's light energy. It's goodness. It's kindness. It's uh, unconditional exactly, love. That's what it is. Is like you can't, you couldn't have done anything bad enough that God will love you. The universe yeah. doesn't stop loving you just because you, you do scandalous stuff or you end up in a shitty situation. It's like, you know what? You messed up. That's okay. I never stopped loving you. And <laughs> it, here we are. We're here to uh, share this moment together. And finally, finally, you open your heart. Thank you. It's like this energy is just like, thank you. It's like, thank you for feeling it, for getting this opportunity to do it. And it's the synergy, it's the oneness. And so I continued to uh, do this practice for about, man, I was going for like a good seven or eight hours doing this toning. And my throat wasn't even sore at all throughout all this. And I had never done this before. And uh, I, I guess it was just like something that really needed to come out of me and be activated. And I felt like my throat started to activate as well. And so, uh, yeah, I continued to do this to the point to where I started to sober up and there was people walking around and doing their own thing kind of, and, uh, they did their after ceremony, uh, uh, group where everybody kind of integrates and I wasn't too deeply involved in that. Um, I was still processing a lot of what I was dealing with and deciding where I was going to kind of take my life mm-hmm. at that point. Um, 
because I was like, this is, this is something I can't, you can't go back to business as normal. And like Joe Dispenza says, after you have this kind of experience, like it's, uh, like you woke up a sleeping dragon, you woke up something that's completely, uh, out of the box. Once you know, you can't unknow. Exactly. There is only moving forward from exactly. So what did picking up the pieces and integrating that look like for you as you took that connection, that wisdom from God, from universal consciousness, and what what steps forward did you take from that? Okay, so I, I knew that I wasn't supposed to be uh, necessarily held down by a job. At that yeah. point, I felt like uh, I, I needed more of my own freedom. And so I, uh, I did something that I, I knew I could do. Um, I knew I could learn how to, uh, be able to sell cannabis in some way. Mm -hmm. I wanted to find a way that was artistic, that felt right, that I was doing the right type of thing, the right type of work. So, uh, I got involved in the medical cannabis industry for, uh, I was making, uh, marijuana chocolates. And so, uh, I, I was making these chocolates. I started LLC, uh, slash yeah, it, yeah, it was an LLC and, uh, it was legal at the time I hired a lawyer. I spent a ton of money getting all the legal jargon together for this. And, uh, I learned how to make, uh, artisanal, artisanal, uh, cannabis, uh, chocolate truffles. And uh, I played with these recipes for about three years before I got really serious about it. And like, not I, I was serious about it the whole time, but I before I started like becoming a competitor in the industry. And uh, I, I was trying to do everything by myself, though. That's the, the thing between me and my partner. She was making the and uh, the labels and. Uh, the packaging for it and I was making the, uh, the cannabis chocolates and I felt like I was doing something good in the world because I was taking these to people who were sick and I was actually interacting with them at the cannabis clubs demoing them out to the people hearing their personal stories about how it helps people with Parkinson's be able to stop their tremors be able to soothe the, uh, the aches and pains of people who have uh serious nerve damage uh, people who can't sleep at night they're getting to finally sleep again people with low energy disorders of hormones that are taking sativas in order to have better mm -hmm. energy for uh, their lives and it felt really good to do that um this went really well i uh ended up uh winning some cannabis awards for uh best edible and connoisseur's choice um, at the hemp con in, uh, 2018 or no, 2016, excuse me. Okay. And so, uh, I stopped working at the refinery during this whole time because I didn't feel that that was my calling. I continued to do my ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, and so, uh, how did you find your relationship with ayahuasca evolved from that first ceremony where you get cracked open 
and you learn the relationship with energy, with grounding, with toning, all of these things, and you build your relationship with this medicine. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing me back to that. So uh, I ended up getting called to Joe Dispenza's work uh, very shortly after the first ceremony. And uh, I started working with his uh, meditation practices pretty deep. I did his intensive course, um, which is uh, basically about 24 hours worth of information and meditations to uh, basically recondition your mind to a new body to uh, be able to uh, stop being this, uh, this, this ideal of who you think that you've been during that whole time throughout your life. And uh, that's not who you are. The true self is something much more profound. It's uh, it's a gorgeous, glowing, powerful strength that we have no idea about the power of, I still have no idea about the power of my true self. I'm starting to get an idea of it. Uh, and I've had some extremely profound experiences and I do regularly now, but, uh, tapping into, well, it's learning pure potential in relation to who you are and what you feel called to at the soul level. Yes, exactly. And so, uh, I continued to do the work that I was doing with Joe Dispenza and I started to incorporate that into my ayahuasca ceremonies in order to uh, be able to pull the mind out of the body. And I started working with uh, some Kundalini practices as well uh, around the same time where uh, I was doing certain breath practices. Um, I didn't get super deep in it but it started to activate my kundalini for sure between that ayahuasca and joe Dispenza's work like i felt mm-hmm. like an enormous activation start to occur and so uh and i started paying attention to my energy centers more i started uh feeling it uh in all of my energy centers this uh this energy and then i started paying more attention to uh other practices as well like uh feeling nothingness and uh feeling everything and uh just taking the time to really uh dive deep into those practices and i would find beautiful places in nature uh to do that i'd go out to the redwoods pretty regularly out on the coast of california and uh bay area type of areas and i would uh go deep into nature by myself and uh really dive deep into these practices and uh feel the nothingness feel the breath coming in through these uh activation points and i started getting into yoga started uh it was hatha yoga that i was working with and i started feeling more energy channels start to open throughout my system and uh, I had less pain in my system from the time that I was uh, obese. I, I'd lost uh, so much weight. It was, uh, I lost almost 100 pounds in 10 years to uh, give a brief description. That makes sense. Um, but it was the steady loss. I, uh, I stopped eating a lot of the things that I was eating in excess. 
And uh, I started feeling better about myself physically. And uh, yeah, a lot happier about life, even though I had uh, family members that had kind of uh, abandoned me when I was younger. That's uh, that was the sensation that I had gotten. And I understand now at this point, obviously that they were just going through their own problems at that time. And I, uh, I had to forgive them and, uh, have empathy for them for uh, having the situations that they went through. And I imagine feeling that love that, it, that you have access to through plant medicine, through doing these deep meditative yogic practices, it's so much easier to tap into the love when we feel it as channeled through us from, from source, mm-hmm. when we're able to, to dive into what that looks like universally, it's, it's so much easier to see the humanity and the wounding in, in others, in those that are closest to us, your, your mother, your father, these, your family who, who came from their own place of wounding is what I found as I do this deep inner work. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say that I, through also uh, hearing other people's stories and their yeah. integration uh, during the ceremonies, it was uh, pretty profound for me because it was so drastically different than mine. And uh, I was able to empathize with them for the things that they'd went through and the healings that I saw them going through. And I was like, I can do that. That's a, that's doable. Um, if uh, they're healing from their stuff, which is like, some of them were like rape traumas and uh, women that has been battered by their husbands and uh, boys that have been molested when they were younger. And like this uh, people who are this utterly abused throughout their yeah. whole life. Uh, abused by groups of people abused by this like this uh, people who had gone through kidnapping type of situations Mm. and i'm like oh my god like it's i'm still astounded at how fortunate i am at uh, the existence that i have that i went through this whole foster care system without being abducted and put me in and put into some kind of uh, slave sex camp or something like that. That's something that's happening to these foster kids right now. Right. Is they're being taken and like, they're not even being reported gone. The, the foster care system, they apparently from what I understand, can't even report that children are missing. Once they go missing out of these places, they don't put it out there on like the uh, police radar. Like these kids are there. They disappear like a fart in the wind. And it's, it's the whole system is set up in this way that they can be taken and put away in these places because there's a huge demand for it by the elite. You know, it's like the Epstein case, not to get too far off subject, but I just started really understanding this Epstein case a little bit better. It's uh, CPS is involved in this, (laughs) right? Like it's, it's unbelievable how deep the rabbit hole goes and you almost don't want it to go any much deeper, any more deeper at a certain point because you want to be pure love. You, you want to be able to uh, share this kindness, but reality and 
the honest truth of things is involved in consciousness as well. And it's being in integrity with reality, which is the fracturing of this trust that we have in our institutions that we assume are there to safeguard us when ultimately they're really there to protect the people who hold power. Yes. The people who control the the monetary system, the political system, and the the large overlap in between mm. those. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, definitely the way I see it as well. Yeah, so you're coming back into this place where you're finding love for for your family, mm. for the the people who you came up ah, around yes. that you um, had potentially been traumatized by or who, who you had negative relationships with and finding yourself anew in relationship to these Okay, people. so yeah, around that time, around like 2016, 2017 is uh, when I started getting really serious about fasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a very interesting exploration for me um i i dove right into it i studied as much literature as i could find on it from professionals who were doing it in uh, a safe manner um i started with a three-day water fast which was absolute hell for me they call it a uh, hair shirt fasting mm. yeah are you familiar with uh hair shirt no i'm not okay so uh, <laughs> so the monks uh, back in the day, they would wear these hair shirts to uh, show uh, how much pain they were uh, they deserved from God mm-hmm. to like make it. It's because it's like itchy. It drives you absolutely mad having this hair shirt on, and so they would do that for like abuse to themselves. And uh, yeah, it felt like I was just like like uh, self tormentation of this, and so. Uh, I started digging deeper into fasting literature and I found out uh, it's uh, a lot of the time why you're suffering so much is because you're, you still have all of these processed chemicals Mm -hmm. still in your system and it's very addictive and uh, it's not meant to be uh, that painful of a situation. And so I started detoxing myself of processed foods and uh, getting a lot of that stuff out of my system, which I had already been vegan up until that point. But I was eating junk food vegan, which is almost worse than a carnivore diet right. where you're like mixing in all kinds of animal products and stuff. And uh, so I ended up uh, getting cleansed of uh, a lot of the processed foods that I was eating. Um, anything that I couldn't understand on the label if I had looked at the ingredients and I didn't understand what it was, then yeah, it wasn't going into my system. And so I started cooking my own food for the, for the first time, like getting really serious about that. And uh, I started really praying over my food and sending beautiful energy into it and uh, uh, asking it to go to where it's necessary for my system to uptake the nutrition properly, that it uh, nourish my mind, body, and soul, that uh, people be fed through me eating this food, people who are hungry, you know, and uh, it became a situation where my food became more valuable to me and to my system as well. I started feeling shifts starting to happen in my system. I became healthier. I became more agile. I became happier for sure. And more balanced 
emotionally. And so you begin noticing all of these different shifts from shifting the internal and healing to shifting the external, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it improved my relationship uh, with my girlfriend at the time very drastically as well. Like we both went through this metamorphosis together where we uh, cut off all the uh, the meat first and then the junk food second. And uh, we started our fasting journey. She fasted with me quite a bit. Um, not always, uh, but there was, uh, there was a lot of times that I uh, would go out and do my own thing. I would go out into nature and uh, do the fast myself. And uh, yeah, the, the ayahuasca group that I was working with uh, throughout this time was the same one. I'd never been to anyone else. And I started realizing things as I was uh, evolving through this process, I started realizing that they were feeding people genetically modified soy, mm. that they were uh, feeding people um, cheese right afterwards, like regular pasteurized dairy commercial cheese yeah. in the food right afterwards. And like it had gone completely unnoticed up until that point because I wouldn't eat the cheese, but it was something that I was like, huh, why are they doing that? This lady's supposed to be a leader. And I started noticing kind of like propaganda, like uh, messages that she was putting out there during the ceremony where she would go around like yelling into the air, stop eating the meat, stop uh, listening to the, the shamans, stop doing uh, all of this very like opinionated type of messages like okay. the stuff that she had heard from other people, obviously. And so I, uh, I started just kind of waking up to this. I was like, huh, this lady's not really like living in full uh, sincerity with her title. I don't believe that was just my sensation that I felt. I felt like there was a lack of integrity in certain ways. She definitely loved the medicine. She did her best to get the best medicine and to provide the best music situation that she could and I love her for taking me into that circle and uh, introducing me to it. But it had reached a point to where I felt like it was time for me to pull out. You had outgrown it. I had. Yeah, exactly. And so I, uh, I gracefully pulled back and uh, I ended up, uh, I went for about a year without using any kind of plant medicines at all, any kind of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. I went completely dead sober and I went really deep into my meditations and I went really deep into my yoga practices and I was fasting regularly and I shut off basically any other unhealthy weight that I had on my system. Um, and I was maintaining around, uh, 185 pounds, which is perfect for my body uh, type. Um, I was just now getting out of the cannabis industry because I had uh, realized that they were about to go legal. They were going to legalize it and they were going to start taxing it heavily. And it was going to be the government that was in charge of all of the regulations on it rather than the medical practitioners and uh, the medical community that had been in process of it. And I'm not talking about like Kaiser type of medical, but it's like, it's, it was its own system that was going on at the time to uh, be able to 
support and evolve that industry to where it was. And I felt that it was going to be something that was super horrible for the industry and I didn't want to be part of it. And so uh, I gracefully stepped out of that as well. And uh, I was at kind of a point to where like I, I got out with my skin still on my bones. I didn't make any kind of major profits off of it, but I didn't like lose everything that I owned either. Mm-hmm. which I was uh, super grateful for. And so, uh, yeah, I was ready for the next uh, next part of my life. I uh, was looking at other places to go to, to uh, live, because up till this point, I was living in the Bay Area, which was okay. Um, but at the same time, like I knew that there was a space that I was calling for me out there. And so I started looking at other places. I had been to Mount Shasta, as I said earlier, and I had explored that area. And that was a serious consideration for me to move out there. I uh, was also going down to Palm Springs semi-regularly. I had a lot of appreciation for desert energy as well, which uh, I felt like a lot of peace out there a lot of tranquility in the desert. And then I found Nevada City. I got invited by a woman who was at the last ceremony that I went to over at this uh, this ayahuasca center that I was at. Um, she uh, introduced me to a community of people in Nevada City that uh, were basically people fighting for the rights of water and uh people who were this like it was this super diverse group people who were in new forms of cryptocurrency and uh this other guy he was uh learning how to quantify gold in the soil and in the earth and be able to monetize it without digging it up this really new age type of people and so uh I, i started getting curious about this and they showed me this office area that they had in Nevada city, um, while I was out there for a meeting and, uh, they're like, well, we have offices available still as a $300 a month. I was like, Psh. I was like, okay, that sounds good. But I don't have any place to stay out there. I was like, uh, I'll go back to the Bay area and think about it. And so I went to the Bay and I was like looking at the way that I was living and this is the space that I was living in and the energy that was there. And I was like, this isn't right. This is not resonating with who I want to be. I can't evolve here any further. Like I've been evolving and growing and the area around me isn't growing. And so it's not there to nurture somebody who's uh, moving at this pace, you know, who's determined to uh, move forward in a healthy way uh, to a further state. And so I ended up uh, saying, screw it. And I, uh, I moved out to Nevada City and uh, I got an office and uh, I started uh, teaching meditation and yoga out of this office space. And the office space was kind of in going through kind of metamorphosis when I came and it was like shedding serious layers, like it was almost empty. They had 16 offices in this one uh, building and only three of them were occupied. And uh, I'm not sure if it was because of the management. I have kind of a feeling that it could have something to do with that, but it just wasn't attracting the right type of people into the space. And so, uh, 
I stayed there for two and a half years, uh, doing my own, uh, evolution work, working on myself, uh, pretty thoroughly, um, learning about foraging mushrooms and, uh, getting more in touch with nature. The nature out here is gorgeous. It's, uh, to, uh, make a long story short, uh, one of my mushroom expeditions ended up, uh, where I accidentally ate a poisonous mushroom. And so, uh, I got extremely sick from it. It, uh, so my girlfriend was with me at the time and, uh, I had eaten the mushroom for dinner. Four hours later, I woke up and I felt like I had to vomit. And so, uh, she got me a bucket. I started vomiting into the bucket and I knew what it was. I knew what had happened. I was like, cause I don't feel like this, this isn't something that this happens because like my body is in tune with itself. And, uh, so I was like, do we have activated charcoal? She's like, uh, let me check. So she goes and looks and I have a pretty extensive collection of different herbs and things. And, uh, turns out we had no activated charcoal. It's 1130 at night and there's nothing else open out here in Nevada city area that is like of a, a clean nature to treat yourself holistically. And, uh, so I was like, okay, well, what else do we have that can bind to this? And she's like, uh, going through all the different stuff, naming off all these different things. And she's like, well, bentonite clay. I said, okay, bring on the bentonite clay. And so I take the bentonite clay and mix it with water. I drink it. I vomit again. I drink some more of it. I vomit again. It's happened 11 times that I kept vomiting it up. Finally, it stayed down. And my my intestines were just on fire. They were cramping so bad. Mm-hmm. And I knew what they were going to do if they took me to the hospital, though. I was going to get taken, and they were going to give me activated charcoal and possibly mm-hmm. suggest some kind of a surgery that's invasive, possibly. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I said, you know what, fuck that. It's, I, I don't want any part of that. Uh, I'll, I'm going to heal myself. I had been doing fasting. I had been doing things that I, I knew were uh, good for my system. And so, uh, I went through this process of six months after that, where I had internal bleeding, I had hemorrhoids and that were just so painful. I wasn't able to do, uh, most of the exercises that I normally did in my yoga correctly. And I, uh, I tried so many different types of fasts, so many healing practitioners I allowed to work with me on this and nobody could heal me. So it ended up leading me back to, uh, I learned about dry fasting. I, uh, read this book called the Phoenix protocol. So dry fasting is, uh, basically this protocol is where you, uh, lead yourself into it with a healthy, very clean diet at the end, very light. And then you eventually you just wean yourself off of water and you take electrolytes at the end mm-hmm. before you go into this. And, uh, so I, I went into this, uh, dry fasting situation where I was out by Stinson beach out in Marin County. And it was extremely moist weather out there. I had a little Creek that I could dip into regularly. And so you're supposed to do cold plunging. So the concept behind dry fasting is that your body, it starts to reverse the flow of sweat that you normally sweat out. So you start to take in water through mm-hmm. your pores and it goes through your system in a okay. reverse fashion, goes through all your organs and uh, allows you to detox toxins that are in there as well as increasing stem cells in mass quantities to go where they're needed 
to regain uh, health in different parts of the system because you're finally giving your body a break completely. So how long are you doing this fast? I did it for five days. And yeah, I, uh, I started feeling really good by the second day. Um, Mm -hmm. I got really tired on the third day and I wasn't sure if I was going to continue to be able to sustain it, but I, uh, I pushed it out. I was meditating the best that I could during that time. It was probably the only thing that kept me, kept me sane during it. And, uh, because you're, you're going against everything that nature has taught you so far. You're and what exactly. your body is used it's, to. It's, yeah. uh, it's what you've uh, learned to do throughout your whole life. Even fasting with, just from food is like, you're like, am I killing myself? Uh, you know, those, those are questions right. that you're asking yourself. You're like, this isn't natural. It's not right. You're having all these ideas come up. And when reality, it's the most natural thing that you can do is to stop doing things and just be. Allow your system to reset and go back to equilibrium. And so uh, I ended up getting through the five days and I was completely healed of this, uh, these internal issues. Mm-hmm. I had no more bleeding. I had no more uh, of the pain in my stomach. Everything was back to normal. And uh, yeah, I was having food sensitivities before that, like extreme food sensitivities and everything was back to where I could eat again. And uh, yeah, I was, I'd found a new vigor for life. and. Uh, I felt reset in my system. I felt strong again. I was, uh, I got back into, uh, exercising and, uh, doing all my practices again. And I had so much gratitude towards life. And I felt like it was time for me to go into my next phase of my life. And, uh, right as soon as I had that, uh, idea and that concept, uh, a good friend of mine came into my life. Um, his name was Justin and he, uh, worked with the Santa Daime tribe uh, in Brazil, uh, which is, uh, it's basically um, Christians that use ayahuasca and (laughs) make really beautiful music and uh, they work with the energy of God. And uh, so uh, he, he had been, he had gone on into the Amazon and worked with a bunch of different tribes out there and experienced what they uh, had to offer and their practices. And he was already an incredible musician when he went in there, but he started really soaking up the energy of the Amazon and working with these medicines for long periods of time. And uh, he came back and I I met him and he uh, took us through these practices on, uh, on a friend's property that were just unbelievable such beautiful such a beautiful ayahuasca ceremony he was bringing it back legally on the plane still intact with the water that it came with which most of these uh, and most people who uh, hold ceremonies they're holding it with a paste it means it's uh, boiled down to a thick uh, paste-like substance that they reconstitute into water and so uh is the water is held in or the information is held in water a lot of the time if they sing to this medicine like it's uh the energy is there and you could just feel the love and the goodness in this medicine and the love that he held in the container i had never experienced a group that like the whole group stayed together during the whole ceremony 
and like they gave you time to lay down and to experience your own uh process and to work with it but this the music was so gorgeous and it touched my heart so profoundly and it was a vortex of energy that was awakening within me as well as in the whole group itself you could feel this energy or at least i could you were it was like it was tangible where you could see it moving around in a vortex above us and uh so I, I went through this process and it, uh, I ended up going to five other ceremonies through him before he ended up moving back to the Amazon. And, uh, each one was just so profound. It, uh, led me to want to be a healer and to start working with, uh, more of a healing means. And so I started studying into different forms of healing and uh i i knew one thing that i it could do was definitely to be able to teach people how to fast properly because i'd been through these different experiences with it and i had learned these different processes and i had done about th- probably three dry fasts at that point and i had really dug deep into the literature of what was available for it and it was something that they've been doing in russia for a long time to be able to heal people in the medical community, even like it's uh, a common practice that they do in hospitals is dry fasting. Is it required to do that in a place where you have a natural water? Yeah, source? it's definitely preferable that you have uh, clean okay. water at your disposal. I mean, even if it's something where it's like a river that hasn't been thoroughly polluted, but you wouldn't drink the water, right. that's okay because okay. your body's not consuming it the same way that you would consume uh like if you drank the water from the river it would make you sick but it's filtering through your pores and through your whole system and so the body is so intelligent that it finds another way even though you're depriving it of water it's like it's i'm astounded still and they've been healing people of cancer and all kinds of different metabolic diseases out in russia for for decades Mm-hmm. This is this is just a regular thing for them. They understand this and they they know it out there. And uh, the way that they they found this system was they watched a dog that got hit by a car, and mm-hmm. this guy loved his dog. He was a doctor though, and he was curious. And so he uh, the dog got hit. He was pretty mangled. He had a lot of broken bones. He had uh, some serious problems. But he saw that the dog limped off into the corner and was staying in the corner of the hut that he was in. And he was thinking about putting the dog down. He's like, this dog's not going to make it. Uh, But like the dog didn't want to eat, didn't want to drink, didn't want to touch anything. Just wanted to be left alone there in the corner. He's like, okay, well, I'll see what happens. You know, he was curious. He left the dog to its own demise. And within, I believe, seven or eight days, the dog started walking again. And it started moving around. The bones had been healed after seven or eight days, like it considerably healed. After 10 or 11 days, the dog started eating and drinking again. And uh, so that led to other experiments, obviously. And so they uh, went through the process of understanding this dry fasting and experimenting with humans. And uh, they, they came to the point to where they understand it a lot better. And uh, they're, it's it's part of their technology now and it, it, 
the only reason that it's not out here is because this medical system's like controlled by the pharmaceutical industry and you don't, you can't charge money for something that doesn't cost money. It doesn't cost money not to do anything. There's no money to be made in it. So you find yourself in this space where you want to bring this gift to others. You want to support people in their healing through fasting. What does that look like in this next iteration of your life? So I, uh, I started teaching people, uh, to do the diet work first where people clean out the processed foods and, uh, to start drinking clean spring water because that's where, uh, I forgot to say I have access to, uh, clean springs out here, out here in Nevada city area where the water hasn't been tainted and, uh, it's live water. That's the other thing is, uh, your system knows how to uptake live water much easier. It's a, it's a natural process that it goes through with this. And so, uh, I started getting people on spring water, um, convinced many of them to, uh, go through some rounds of mimosa pudica. Yeah. It's a, it's a fibrous material that, uh, actually, uh, helps remove parasites out of the system. And, uh, so, uh, once you go through that process, then to get a colonic from a place that's uh, clean. And so you're cleaning the parasites out of your system, the things that are demanding the nasty foods and who are stealing all over your vital nutrition, then cleansing it with a colonic and to make sure that they're out. And, uh, then we would go on to the fasting because you have to prepare your system because if you have creatures that are in there uh, demanding more vital nutrition, you're going to have more of a chance of uh, you having more of a hellish situation. Yeah. Parasites, fungal infections. Exactly. Exactly. And so uh, we went through that process and then I would take people out to uh, Stinson beach area, get a campsite out there and uh, we do regular water plunging out there in a stream that's out there that's it's it's pretty clean it's uh I, I wouldn't drink it but it's clean enough definitely to plunge in and uh we would do a three-day dry fast typically to get people's feet wet so to say mm-hmm. and to get those pathways working correctly in the system uh, because it's something that uh, most people they haven't been through any of this and this all happens within 30 days this whole process that i'm talking about and so most of it's done without me being there. And, uh, so it's up to them to do it correctly, you know, and to follow the protocols. Um, I try not to put too much out there and share too much of this information because it can be dangerous if you do it incorrectly and you definitely should be around somebody who's trained how to do it correctly, or at least read some literature. Like I said, like this book called the Phoenix protocol, if you're really advantageous Mm -hmm. and you feel that that's like your destiny to do it by yourself, then you should read this book. And, uh, it's definitely, it's built by somebody who understands the science completely of, uh, what's actually happening with it. Um, and who lays out the diet plan and everything in place that he did. I've modified it some from my understanding and like what I've, uh, I experienced myself to be good. Um, I use like spirulina at the end of it and uh, activated charcoal flushes as well. 
to bind to any heavy metals or any tenant toxins that are still in the system. And it, uh, it's definitely, I've done it with it and without it. And I feel a lot better with it. So what are the things that you see in these people that you guide through this process? What are the successes? <laughs> well, you start to become more of a spiritual being for sure. That's something that I've noticed personally in my own experience, as well as the uh, people that I've guided through it, they started to get so much clarity in their meditations and uh, they started to really have more of an appreciation for the beauty of life and to their connection to nature. They, you have people who have butterflies landing on their noses while they're meditating and uh, people who are hanging out and there's like a squirrel that's coming a couple feet away from them and looking at them curiously. Like uh, nature starts to interact with you when you're not in this heathenistic mindset of constantly food, 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 food. Like we're always in this uh, mindset of like survival and you're right. starting to get out of that survival mindset and you're starting to uh, get more in tune with your other senses, with uh, your connection to nature, with your connection to the universe, with your connection to earth. And, you know, it meets right at the center in your heart and you feel the love, you feel the, the gratitude for the situation at a certain point when you start to cleanse yourself and you're like, wow, it's always worth it in the end. And, you know, as long as you, uh, you break the fast correctly, it's something that like your body heals so significantly each one that you do. And, uh, it takes normally three days for somebody who doesn't have a serious problem to have some pretty profound healings going on in the system. Every day of dry fasting is worth three days of water fasting. They found as far as, uh, human growth hormone levels, and uh, uh, stem cell production. And so you kick yeah. into ketosis within 24 hours where you're burning ketones. So you're not starving. You actually right. go into this eating process much faster. And so it's burning your belly fat. It's burning the areas of fat that mm -hmm. are stubborn on your system. And it's cracking open these fat cells that are containing the heavy metals. And it starts to do the detoxing. And your body's intelligent enough that it's just shut down all these other uh systems and is saying okay i'm going to process this food i'm going to process this uh these toxins correctly i'm going to get them out of my system yeah and it's the body's deepest innate wisdom and so in addition to leading these groups mm -hmm. um giving guidance to people on fasting what are some of the other healing modalities that you practice and how can people who may be interested in learning more about what it would look like to work with you go about doing that research? Um, okay, so Wim Hof training is definitely something that I got involved in uh, a couple years ago. Um, it's a uh, cold plunging plus breath work. And uh, you, you can use them separately. They work even better together. Uh, where you're doing the, uh, it's basically holotropic breath work. Um, I, I hate putting labels on a lot of these things because, like, we all, it sometimes ends up being, yeah, it's, it's all very it's sometimes it ends up being your own kind of thing that you're doing. You'll find something that feels really good right. for your system and uh, that evolves you quicker than other means. And so, uh, that's something that I would highly recommend that people get involved in if you want to bounce back quick and have a strong system doing uh, cold, cold work and getting your brown fat up 
um, are you familiar with brown fat? Um, okay. Yep. Yeah. So uh, just to give a brief description, it's a type of fat that's on your system that's more prominent in like babies. And so mm -hmm. it, uh, it burns extra calories on your system. And so when I first started getting out into the cold, you're like, you feel like you're going to die. You're like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is so stupid. You're like going into this Arctic water and uh, you do it to the point to where you can still breathe. I, uh, I go to the point in the ocean where it's like, it's about 60 degrees and I'll, I won't get out of the ocean every single time until I found peace. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it starts to condition your mind to be more peaceful and to be able to come to peace and rest. And I find resilient, resilient to stress. Mm, and yes. The chaos that we experience in the world, it can really support us in facing chaos with a peaceful, open hearted mind and heart. And to be in that space of equilibrium even in the face of these challenging things that come at us through life. So if someone were interested in working with you, they may be someone who has a chronic disease or has been you know, diagnosed with early stage cancer or anything like that. How, how would a person go about working with you? Okay. So uh, I'm not on social media. I, I've made the decision a while back that it's uh, something that yes. it's a toxic platform for the most part. I support people who are able to do it correctly, but for me, it's uh, it's something that I didn't feel that was right for me. So uh, you can, con I you can contact me by email though. Um, I'm at okay. way off the grid at protonmail.com. So I'll spell that out. W-A-Y-O-F-F-T-H-E-G-R-I-D at protonmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you send me an email and just kind of describe your situation, um, I'd definitely be up for getting in contact with you and uh, seeing if it's a good fit. Great. And what are some of the other offerings that you have? What are the other things that you do with your work in addition to supporting people in fasting and a healing way? Um, I teach self-massage, mostly digestive massage okay. uh, for people to uh, be able to clear blockages in their digestive system, as well as break down layers of uh, toxic material that has built up on the digestive walls. Um, I also teach uh, a lot of happiness practices that uh, people can find uh, a lot of peace in their life and release a lot of trauma out of their organs. They're uh, mainly Taoist practices, but uh, they make extreme differences in the life and your ability to be able to do a lot of these uh, more profound practices uh, peacefully without really struggling through them. Yeah. Well, Luke, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, telling the listeners of this podcast about your extraordinary journey of finding yourself through all of these challenging experiences. And I know that you know, everyone will have a place in your journey where they, they may resonate. And I appreciate you being so vulnerable and showing up with so much heart. Thank, Thank you, you, Nate. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, this has been such a pleasure and uh, a healing experience as well. Thank you. You're welcome. Until round two, be well.